0: This is the Simi Sarah Show on demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday ten to two on nine eighty CKNW and through the Radio Player app.
1: And let's get an update on what is going on in Ottawa today. Joining us, Mercedes Stevenson, our Global News Ottawa bureau chief. Good morning, Mercedes. Good morning, Simi. How are you? I am good, thank you. you hanging in there. Uh, I I am. Uh,
2: I was just having a discussion with your producer about producing from home, and I didn't know that uh, a stuffed teddy bear yes. I have has been in the shot sometime. It's in the it guest has. bedroom, and you're seeing it through two windows. Welcome <laughs> to the new era of broadcasting.
1: You know what, though? It's adorable. It's like a little bit of lightheartedness is what we need, because we watch you on BC1 and on Global BC all the time. Even this morning, I'm watching, and I'm like, oh, the dog is back, because it's... Because, you know, it... It's like you're a white, little white dog.
2: I'm it like, is. What? Please oh, don't is
1: this stuffed bear? Don't remove it. It gives us a little bit of pleasure to watch in those shots. Maybe there. I'll start adding it to like yes. friends as the week goes on to see who knows. Listen, anything we can do these days, right, to keep ourselves <laughs> amused. We appreciate that. Uh, in Ottawa today, I did notice just off the top here that some MPs were due for a pay raise, but it sounds like a lot of them are, are going to be donating it.
2: Yeah, a lot are going to be donating it. And, and just to give people some context around this, because I've gotten some pretty outraged emails. Uh, they didn't vote to give themselves this pay raise in the middle of a pandemic. It's really bad optics, but it actually was signed into law years ago under jean Cretchen. It's automatic, and they'd actually have to get together and meet uh, in order to have this not happen. And, of course, Parliament is suspended right now because of the COVID-19 risk. So that that would not be ideal. But a lot of them are saying they're going to take that money, they're going to donate it uh, to a good cause. So I know a lot of people are angry about that,
1: just to give them a sense of what's going on. This isn't good. something they recently decided. And, yeah, a lot of it's going to go to charity. All right, that makes way more sense. Uh, can we also get an update here on what is the government saying in terms of their expectation for how long this whole situation is going to last? Yes,
2: there's a report um, in the National Post. They got a hold of a document, they say, that uh, shows how long we can expect this to go because every time we ask um, the the head of um, Public Health Canada or we ask a uh, health minister, we ask even the prime minister, they don't give us an exact time range other than to kind of say, well, weeks, months, we're in it for the long haul. But this document, the National Post saw, shows that they're expecting it to go at least until July. Mm. Uh, and then there's questions, of course, because I've talked to a lot of experts and doctors about this. There could be second and third waves of this, right? Because what happens is everyone follows social distancing and goes into their homes. It's still out there with, you know, a few people. It's not completely gone like any virus is at any time and then you come back out and you can get a second wave and a third wave but we know they're planning according to at least this document that deals with the federal operations center here which is kind of like the nerve center for reaction in ottawa um they are planning for these measures to be in place until july uh, so that gives you a sense yeah. and uh, what i've heard from also sources semi uh, who've seen both the city of ottawa's modeling and are familiar with federal modeling They say that the best case scenario they
1: see is 8 to 10 weeks in those kind of
2: documents.
1: Oof, okay, that is a long time, which means that people are going to need help. Are we going to get more information on the whole wage subsidy situation?
2: Yeah, we're going to get more information on the wage subsidy, and we're also going to get more information about the CERB, which is that enhanced employment insurance benefit that people can get who've lost their jobs due to COVID-19. Prime Minister is going to have some more details on the CERB today. There's a lot of people who have a lot of questions about that, Simi. I I get emails on that too all the time. People who are working part-time who've lost their jobs uh, are saying, well, do I qualify for it? So we're going to get some more clarity, I think, from the Prime Minister today on how that's going to work. We're also going to to find out from uh, Finance Minister Bill Morneau what the deal is with the wage subsidy. And it's kind of strange. He we was supposed to do a press conference on this yesterday afternoon. It got changed to today. We don't really know why. Um, but we are supposed to find out how much it's going to cost. Because that big $82 billion package that was passed last week, that was not the wage subsidy. So right. we need to find out how much that is. And some people in the opposition, like Pierre Polyev, are saying, you can't pass this wage subsidy without recalling Parliament. This is not legal under what you passed. Andrew Shear has a press conference this morning. I was wondering if maybe he's going to call for parliament to come back Um, i spoke to somebody very close to him they told me that's not the focus of his press conference uh, but he'll certainly be taking questions on it so i guess wait and see what he has to say i think both the federal government and the conservatives based on what i'm hearing from sources are still digging trying to figure out if parliament would indeed have to come back to pass that
1: but it does sound like from the way you describe it they are kind of working together to do this though
2: Yeah, I think it's it's not as though the opposition disagrees with what's in the wage subsidy in the sense that they don't want people to get it. The question is sort of because they've said all employers and the legislation says uh, that public companies can't get it, that's a contradiction. So which one is it? Um, And also it has to do with whether or not everyone can get it, whether or not they can pay the extra 25% to their staff. Um, So those are sort of the two questions that Pierre Polyev was raising about it. And I think that we'll probably get more clarity on that from Bill Morneau today. They are working closely behind the scenes. They're talking to each other. Mm -hmm. Um, There's not a a strong desire to politicize this by any party. No kidding. But
1: you're still talking about huge government spending. So there's got to be some discussion. All right. Listen, thank you so much, Mercedes. Thanks for having me. Well, we know there's been a huge strain on charitable organizations. Not only are they worried about the fact that there's so many more people who need their services, they are unable to pay their staff or really do a lot of that work that they would usually do. Uh, The Salvation Army, though, is still operating their services during this COVID-19 outbreak, but not exactly in the same way. They don't look like the way they used to look. They are feeding people in need in Abbotsford using one of their mobile kitchens. They're just trying to make sure that nobody slips through the cracks. And we wanted to talk to them more about the challenges they're facing right now. Joining us now, Mike Leland with the BC division of the Salvation Army. Good morning, Mike.
3: Good morning, Simi.
1: Now what, just tell me a little bit about what are you able to do right now?
3: Wow. uh, Great question. Um, So, as you mentioned, we, we still continue to serve across the province. It just looks a little different. Um, and you mentioned our truck in Abbotsford. Uh, so that's a great example. We have emergency disaster response units. We've got about 20 trucks around the province. Uh, essentially, they're mobile kitchens. Um, some, like the one feeding out in Abbotsford today, can feed up to, to 1,000 people an hour. So we're deploying those in certain communities. Um, so people obviously no longer can come into our centers. Uh, freely. So this is a way to get around that while still, still serving those in need.
1: How are you able to keep going though? I mean, it must be really hard to have to say, no, you can't come inside
3: oh it's extremely hard but you know we've been we've done an amazing job in our ministry and it's across the province adjusting so uh in some locations we're doing bag lunches uh in some locations we're doing boxes to go in other locations we're making home deliveries to people especially people like the seniors who are uh face mobility challenge or or are more vulnerable than the rest of the population we're taking groceries right to their places so um, we've kept up with the demand. We've just had to be nimble and and flexible.
1: Have you noticed an increase in demand? Like, what are you seeing?
3: Yeah, I mean, there has been an increase in demand. I mean, two weeks ago, families were were working full time and the government has done an amazing job stepping up to keep people uh, to keep the money flowing. But still, uh, especially with school being closed and not having feeding programs available to children, we are seeing an increase in our families that are showing up at our Mm. Uh, community food lines, but um, the community has been amazing. Restaurants, food chains, they've really stepped up and answered the bell, uh, and they're really being a great partner in this process.
1: And so what about those donations, and where are they coming from, and are you you worried about that?
3: Um, That's a great question. Right now, uh, the best way to help the Salvation Army is to donate at SalvationArmy.ca. Uh, or call 1-800-CELL-ARMY. Honestly, right now, um, we are getting a little bit worried. Uh, The news is reporting that there is no way we're going to return until May. Um, We've been fortunate. We've had a history of of generosity from here in BC. We're hoping that's going to continue. Um, But I I would be lying if I said we weren't a little nervous uh, as long as this thing keeps dragging on.
1: Right. Are you okay for the next couple of weeks then?
3: Uh, we are okay for the next couple of weeks. Uh, funnily enough, the, the thing that we're, we're finding it hard to get, obviously, is sanitary products and protective gear. Um, so A lot if of competition have, for that, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if there's an opportunity, contact your local Salvation Army. Uh, for anyone out there that, that has the ability to donate those type of materials, that would be greatly appreciated.
1: And moving forward then, is that just the way the Salvation Army is going to work using those mobile kitchens?
3: Uh, for now, yes. And like I said, some uh, not every community has them. So we will continue to keep our doors open, but it will be sort of a, a lunch to go, a dinner to go, or like I said, getting out into the public and, and making home deliveries to people who cannot get out of their houses.
1: Right, Where do you decide where to go? Today it's in Abbotsford, but how do you decide, okay, tomorrow we'll be here?
3: Yeah, that's a great question. It's it's sort of a flexible thing to me as this thing, you know, we're looking at this week to week and making adjustments on the news reports we're getting and the reports we're getting from the public health authority. And we sort of base it on that. Uh, we typically know where the need is in the community. So that's we use that as a guideline, uh, but it can change week to week.
1: All right, Mike, thanks for keeping us up to date. Thank you, Sydney. Thanks for the great job you guys are doing. Well, you too. That's Mike Leland, the Divisional Secretary of Public Relations for the Salvation Army's BC Division. They are using their mobile kitchens. You can't come into one of their centres anymore or anything like that, Uh, so they've had to use their mobile kitchens to make meals for people, uh, to provide bag lunches or bag breakfast, whatever the case may be, and they just want to make sure that people don't fall through the cracks, and as you can imagine, demand has really gone up uh, for the services they provide. Fraudsters trying to count Capitalize on the
0: health crisis. rosters are preying on our anxiety. Please, please do not give out any financial in- information over the phone.
1: You know, in times of trouble, we're always told, like, look for the good deeds, look for the good things. And I think we do. The problem is there's also no shortage of people who use tough times for their own advantage, their own gain. And in this pandemic situation, there's certainly no shortage of that going on out there either. Two men have now been arrested after lying about having COVID-19 and holing up in an Airbnb suite. This story is just unreal. So the owner of the unit eventually became wise to their scam. But it started initially when these two guests refused to leave the suite. And one man said to the owner that he had contracted the virus. And so the owner, out of the goodness of their heart, allowed this person to stay for free in the unit while they recovered. But then he noticed that, wait a minute, the man seemed to be coming and going from the unit in perfect health. Uh, boy, this story really is something. that's actually happened over on Vancouver Island. And to talk more about this, we're joined now by Bowen Ahsoka, who's the Victoria Police Department's Community Engagement Lead. Thank you so much for being here.
4: Good morning. How are you?
1: Good, thank you. Boy, this story just is so disheartening. I'm sure the police department probably felt the same way.
4: Indeed. And, you know, if this was the first Airbnb COVID-19 scam that we'd had, uh, you know, it, we'd, we would have met it with probably you know, some disappointment and some shock. But this is actually the second one.
1: Really? So what's been going on?
4: So the first one we had was actually a week before this one. And the first one, it's very, very straightforward. Um, Airbnb had changed their policy for refunds. And what happened is that a person went in, uh, as they booked into the suite, then contacted Airbnb and said, I can't, I can't, you know, they can't be there because they need to have COVID-19 and they need a refund. Received the refund, stayed in the suite anyway. Oh! And then when they, uh, when they showed up to, the owner showed up to clean the suite, noticed that the television, stereo, and toilet paper were gone.
1: So not only did they scam the money out of Airbnb, then they scammed the owner of the suite by stealing a whole bunch of stuff.
4: Indeed. Now, in this second incident yeah. uh, with, where the two men were arrested, um, and I think you described it well, you know, it, it was uh, an owner who, out of the goodness of their heart, was really trying to make, make sure that the uh, person who had been in the suite claiming they had COVID-19 um, and they were, they were sick, making sure that person had a place to be, as well as keeping the rest of the public safe by letting them stay there.
1: Right. So, that the yeah, certainly,
4: certainly. Yeah, Indeed. Indeed, that's definitely uh, yeah. Okay, yeah, so when they when
1: they noticed that the person was kind of still coming and going from the suite and seemed perfectly fine, what did the owner do?
4: So the owner uh, be- the owner became suspicious pretty quickly, actually, which was which was good. Uh, and the owner, as soon as they knew something was was wrong, did exactly the right thing, and they called us. So officers attended. They 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 located the man and spoke with him. And he was clearly not not sick at all. And they're like, okay, well, time for you to go. And as the man brought them upstairs to the suite to uh, to, they were to make sure that he got his belongings left, they step in and they discover another man uh, wanted on warrants, along with several thousand dollars worth of stolen property.
1: Oh, you're kidding me. So this ended up being like a much bigger deal.
4: Oh, it certainly indeed, Yeah. What, what, what you know, started as an unwanted person kind of call uh, really turned into uh, a warrant arrest, um, some property crime as well. Uh, likely these uh, two men, um, well, the investigation is still ongoing. Um, they, they both, of course, said that they had no no knowledge of the stolen goods, but um, you know, many people have been coming and going from the Airbnb suite. It is unfortunate that uh, during this time of crisis that some people will take advantage of, first of all, the flexibility of Airbnb and other short-term vacation rentals. It's also disappointing that they'll take advantage of someone's goodwill. However, mm-hmm. um, you know, the far majority of people, of course, uh, the, that are in Victoria and Nisquimalt here, Maker Island, are helping each other out. They're, they're, they're staying home. They're, they're socially and physically isolating. So it not that surprising, and unfortunately, that there's the, the small number who are trying to take advantage of the situation, and that's why we're warning people about frauds like this and many of the frauds that you see
1: how should people how can people protect themselves from something like this? Because you're right, you you do want to do the right thing. You want to be helpful in these times, but there are people who will take advantage.
4: Well, the for these these sort of in-person style frauds, uh, especially with short-term vacation rentals, there's there's a few things that you can do. And one of the first things is read the customer reviews. In both of these circumstances, the accounts that people had created um, to take advantage of the Airbnbs were very short-term accounts. Mm-hmm. They didn't have any, they didn't really have, have solid reviews. And that review system is, is really there to, so people can know who they're, who they're, who they're, uh, who they're renting to. Right. Additionally, with Airbnb's change in their policies and many other short-term vacation rental folks have changed their policies in order to really try to support people through this uh, COVID-19 pandemic and the, the impacts it has both financially and in terms of public health. It's very important to be aware of what those policies are and um, to change one's uh, approach to their, uh, to their unit as, uh, as they see fit. But also, and this is what, what, uh, in the second, um, second circumstance, the, uh, the owner did so well is the owner was in really good contact with, uh, with people in the neighborhood, in the building mm-hmm. had built a really good community. So people, so when the owner became suspicious, was suspicious for good reason and then called us. And that's, that's key. We want to hear, about these frauds and these kinds of scams. The police department wants to hear about it right away because the sooner we hear about it, first of all, the more easy it is for us to investigate and effect an arrest, but also the quicker we can stamp out this bad behavior when everyone else no to take care of everyone else.
1: Yeah, exactly. All right, Bowen, thank you so much for your time. You're very welcome. Have a have a lovely day and stay healthy. You too. That is Bowen Ahsoka, the Victoria PD's Community Engagement Officer. Uh, and that's a really good advice when it comes to these Airbnb scams or some kind of online platform scams. You don't let someone book your place when you look at their profile, as Bowen Ahsoka just pointed out, and they have been on Airbnb since March of 2020 that would definitely be a red flag. Anybody who just joined the site in February or March when you know lots of stories right now are telling us that Airbnb is in serious trouble with so many people, so many cancellations and so many things happening, uh, that would definitely be a huge red flag. Now, if you want to weigh in, send me at cknw.com. Our buzz line, 604-331-2899. Well, let's talk about the unfortunate date on the calendar this morning. It is April 1st, meaning payments are due, bills are due. How are people going to pay them. The big one, of course, mortgage and rent payments. So what's going to happen for those renters out there today? We thought, okay, let's talk to someone in government about this. Spencer Chandra Herbert joins us now, BCNDP MLA, and has been deeply involved in all of this. Uh, Spencer, thank you very much for being here this morning.
5: Thank you, Simi. It's a a tough conversation, and I'm just thinking about all those folks who are struggling right now and uh, have always paid their rent on time, and this time they can't. And and that's really hard for people.
1: It is a tough conversation. Yeah, you're right about that. So what are renters supposed to do today? What advice does the government have? Uh,
5: the best advice I could give is if you can't pay your rent, um, if COVID-19 has walloped you as it has everybody else and you don't have a job uh, or your hours have been cut drastically and you, like so many, are one paycheck away from not being able to pay the rent, let your landlord know um tell them that uh i think uh at this point uh, we've suspended evictions because we knew that uh, government support programs whether or not be the uh, uh 500 up to 500 hundred dollar rental supplement or the thousand dollar emergency benefit or the two thousand uh, dollar federal benefit we knew that money wouldn't be in place in time uh, so we have suspended evictions um we're asking landlords to uh look to see what they can do. Um, I know in some cases, landlords have come forward and said, well, um, I'm I'm gonna cut your rent in half this month or I'm not charging you rent this month because we all know everybody is having to take a a cut these days and why should landlords be uh, any different? I've heard that from uh, a number. Uh, I've also heard bad stories where there are companies that seem to think that no matter that, that there's a pandemic uh, they can bully and threaten people, and um, they need to back off. And if they continue, uh, there are consequences as well. Um, you know, we're we're all in this fight together, and I and I'm hopeful that uh, we can get through it in that kind of spirit.
1: And I think that's what people need to hear, like what it is about the consequences. If they are treating, being treated badly here, if they're not getting help uh, in kind of mitigating this situation, but what kind of consequences are we talking about?
5: Uh, well, we did, we did create an enforcement branch um, out of the residential tenancy office because there never had been any sort of penalties beyond, you know, a wet noodle on the wrist kind of thing uh, under the previous approach. Um, mostly it's uh, educational in the sense of saying, hey, uh, now there's uh, a new sheriff on the block we're watching, and if you're cheating people or abusing them, um, you can face major penalties. Um, uh, but that goes likewise for anybody who's gaming the system, trying to cheat people out of uh, rent money when they're able to pay it as well. Um, so that's one side to it. I think, but I guess my biggest message at this point is uh, um, we w- we don't want people moving around uh, right now. We want people to stay in in place, stay in their homes, uh, do what they can to uh, reduce the spread of covid nineteen because it is a battle and everyone's going to have to make some sacrifices right now because of that. Um, it's unprecedented for all of us. And, uh, you know, if, if you're trying to push somebody out of their suite simply just because you, you don't like them uh, or something like that, obviously that's never okay. But uh, particularly now, um, you know, let's have some humanity people. Let's take care of each other.
1: Is there more coming, though? That $500 might help people for, you know, half a month or a couple of weeks. But is there more on the way?
5: Uh, well, it's it's not just a one-month thing. It's um, uh, three months. It could be extended. Uh, this is, as Finance Minister Carol James said very clearly, and I continue to push, As this is the first step. Um, we needed to get something out the door as quickly as we could because April 1st was approaching so quickly. Um, and as someone who's followed politics uh, for a long time, as you know, uh, governments rarely move quickly, um, but this is probably the fastest policy program I've seen a government put in place uh, from being asked to develop it to announcing it to within the next couple of days having the application form on the website and then getting the money flowing. So there is more to do no question. I think this is uh, a work in progress. It's certainly not a masterpiece I I don't think anyone in government is pretending that this is perfect Um, it's uh, a work in progress to deal with the circumstances as they develop
1: you talked about um, evictions, and when all this is over, if somebody has said, listen, I just can't pay my rent and I'll you know, take care of it later, what happens when all this is over and they, there could be some eviction notices that they get for not paying their rent? Will there be help for those people?
5: Uh, you know, I think we're, we've got the plane up into the air now. Now we're developing what the landing is going to be. Uh, if you get my meaning, it's we had to get moving on this. Uh, there's still further policy work being done. Uh, to figure out how we land this plane, how we make sure that uh, people come through out of, uh, this all right, um, and if we can, better than all right. Uh, and I think that's uh, one of the questions that we're grappling with. I think there are certainly people um, who are in really tough circumstances and uh, we've got to find ways to help them.
1: Okay, so what then is your message to renters today?
5: My message to renters is uh, I I hear you. I hear your concerns. I've been working on rental issues my whole political life, in fact, before I was even in politics. So um, I'm doing my best to have your back. And I think the government is as well. But uh, we're not going to get it all right, right from the beginning. So as things develop down the road, uh, let us know. And and same for landlords. You know, uh, uh, this is where we're all doing stuff uh, uh, urgently to address the emergency situation we're in. Uh, but sometimes that means we need second looks and sometimes that we ne- means we need modifications. So keep us involved. Uh, we'll try our best to keep you involved. And uh, thank you to everybody for their patience and understanding. It's, it's a tough si- situation for everybody, but in particular for people worried about having a home.
1: It is. Uh, thank- thanks so much for your time today. Thanks, Simi. Have a good one. You too. That's Spencer Chander Herbert, uh, BCNDP MLA. Uh, he has been involved in the consultations with representatives for landlords and tenants. He's deeply involved in this whole renter situation. Uh, today being April 1st, of course, that is a huge concern out there. So you heard the advice from the government. If you want to weigh in, you can email me, Simi, at cknw.com. Now, we talked yesterday about what some local businesses are seeing, the problems that they're having being shut down, uh, particularly in the downtown core and seeing Seeing some break-ins happening. It's a sad sight on Robson Street when you walk down there now, and you see so many businesses that have uh, preemptively boarded up their windows just in case. And as we heard from the Robson Street Business Improvement Association yesterday, they've also hired extra private security to patrol more at nighttime to deter people from from breaking in. So it's not just shops though that are having this problem get this, a museum in the Netherlands that was closed because of COVID-19 and still is closed actually had a painting stolen by Vincent van Gogh. It's gone now. Nikki Reitmeyer
0: has a story. It's a story that we're well familiar with. In the cover of darkness, thieves sneak into a museum and steal a priceless piece of art people write books and make movies about it. Oh,
1: Eddie, I'd like you to meet Thomas Crown, Mr. Crown.
5: Lieutenant Eddie Malone, criminal investigation. I'm not going to say a thing until I talk to
0: my lawyer. Elaborate heists with valuable bounty, and thieves who can disappear without a trace. It's not always just the stuff of fiction. Countries around the world are on lockdown because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Facilities like museums have had to close their doors including the Singer-Laren Museum in the Netherlands. In the early morning hours of Monday, March 30th, at about 3.15 a.m., thieves smashed a glass door to enter the museum. And they stole a painting by Vincent van Gogh.
2: A Van Gogh painting was stolen overnight by thieves. Police
0: say
4: an alarm was sounded around 3:15 in the morning, but when authorities arrived, there were no suspects at the
2: scene. The Parsonage Garden at Nuenen in Spring 1884. The painting known as Spring Garden dates back to 1884 and depicts a woman standing near sparse red-flowered bushes with the church building in the background.
4: Investigators say they are still looking over the forensic evidence as well as security cam footage. The valuable Van Gogh painting was completed in 1884 and had been on loan from another Dutch museum.
0: The director was outraged.
3: Who does such a thing? That is a parallel world of crime and money that we do not belong to. We are of the world of culture. We are here to share art and culture, which is much needed
4: for society, with the people.
0: And for another strange twist?
4: Whether intentional or not, the date of the robbery coincided with the artist's birthday.
0: Um, the theft happened on what would have been Van Gogh's birthday. He died in 1890 at the age of just 37. Was he only 37 years old? Only 37. Um, anyway, it's an absolute shame. Um, they're obviously trying to get back, get it back, but yeah, stolen in a nighttime raid. what a shame. Achieving all
1: that by the age of 37 pretty Incredible, impressive, isn't it? isn't
0: it? But it's not the first time a Van Gogh painting has been stolen. It actually happened in 2002, when two thieves climbed up onto the roof of the Van Gogh Museum in Amsterdam. They broke a window with a sledgehammer, and they took two paintings off the wall. One was damaged in the heist, and both were sold to a mafia boss. The paintings were recovered in 2016. The art heist story is one that we've heard many times, but it's always fascinating. Take, for example, the most lucrative museum heist in history. 30 years ago in Boston, March 18, 1990, two men pretending to be police officers talked their way into the museum. They then tied up the security guards and looted the museum for hours. In the end, they made off with over $500 million in art, including works by Rembrandt and Manet. The stolen works of art have never been found, and to this day, the thieves, they've never been caught. Then there is possibly the most famous art heist of all time, in Paris, 1911. A handyman installs protective glass over the portrait of a woman at the Musée des Louvre, or the Louvre. He later returns and steals the painting. The heist went unnoticed for an incredible 24 hours. But when it was discovered that she was missing, the woman with the mysterious smile became front page news. Her face was everywhere on every newspaper. The painting became far too famous to resell. So the handyman stashed it away for two years. But when he finally tried to claim a ransom on it, he was caught. And the now world famous Mona Lisa was returned to the museum. So here we are in a worldwide pandemic. Museums everywhere have closed their doors to the public. And now one painting by Van Gogh has also been lost to public viewing. Will the painting be recovered so that it can be enjoyed once again when this pandemic is over? For 980 CKNW, I'm Nikki Reitmeier. Thank you for that, Nikki. Here's the problem with a a heist
1: like that in this pandemic right now. People are so concerned and governments and everybody's so concerned with with everything else that's going on. You think somebody could probably fence a painting like that and they might actually make some money on it. Whereas in normal times, a painting like that is so high profile and a theft like that would be so high profile, they probably wouldn't be able to unload it because of all the attention. Now, I know Nikki alluded to it there, but listen, if you get a chance and you're curious about art heists, check out the one that is known as the biggest and greatest art heist of all time. That's the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum theft. Half a billion, with a B, dollars worth of artwork, no arrests made, no works ever recovered, and they have no clue who might have been involved in that. It is unreal.